It's always a pleasure, Josh Reed-Jones, to come in and uh, have a chat with us. Now, we're getting up to the festive season. Well, we are in the festive season and the holiday season. And again, you know, some people love it Mm. and it can be really a stressful time for others. Um, You know, what's your take on it? Oh, I think everyone should freak out because, you know, when Christmas happens, I mean, if we don't get everything done right before then and tick every box, then the world will definitely fall apart. Uh, I think the festive season is is uh, a little bit over-commercialised and over-emphasised in the scheme of things in the year, really. Um, it's a really tough time for a lot of people. Uh, inter- economically, it's a really tough time for a lot of people, but also economically. Uh, exp- uh, Expectations are high in a lot of areas. Um, it's an arbitrary finish date or deadline date for a lot of industries, which I've, I've always found funny. In construction, everyone wants their place done by Christmas. And it doesn't <laughs> yes. matter if you start in February or in October, like, yeah, sure, we'll have the new new kitchen by Christmas. And uh, I don't know what the, you know, everyone, we have a week off and then we come back to work again. It's and really everyone wants deal. to catch up by Christmas. Yeah, we could have a drink Everyone's by Christmas. Everyone catch up and you've got, to, you've got to do the rounds and you've got to do all the family stuff and it doesn't matter if you've got family 12 hours away or whatever. And Yeah, I think it's, a, I think it's challenging. It's nice. There are really nice elements to having a time in the year when people make an effort, I think, but at the same time people aren't very good at paying attention to the circumstances of others at this time of year and they demand a lot of people without – necessarily being very understanding about their situations. And that's the stuff that I see really challenging people. Mm, So, as you said once before, pressure is universal. Mm. So, everyone has their sort of pressure points. So, it's not to underestimate one person's pressure over another. But what's some tips to get through this this time? I think really being understanding about the circumstances of other people. So, if you don't get all the presents that you want or or you deem that someone hasn't spent enough and it's not even or something. I mean, just take it easy. It's not really in the spirit of things. Um, if someone can't get to see you at exactly the time that you wanted them to see you and things like that, that maybe it's not the end of the world. It's, it is a fairly arbitrary time of year to catch up with people and you can, you can rearrange those times. Um, and everyone's, you don't know how many different precious people are under that they don't prepare to talk about because at the same time, a lot of people don't want to bring the mood down at Christmas and uh, I think just being mindful of those things and taking the pressure off yourself in the same breath as well and just saying, look, it's Christmas. It's a time to sort of connect where we can, relax where we can, you know, enjoy ourselves. Don't worry too much about if we put on an extra kilo. Don't worry too much about how much we spend. Live within our means and, and uh, you know, don't honk people on the road. You know, just everyone's, everyone's going from in-laws to in-laws and everyone's in a hurry and, you know, let's just take a little moment to just take a breath and... Enjoy the enjoy the time. Now you always make valid points, but one I'll unpack um, that you just mentioned there, and it was, you know, we don't know what other people are going through, mm-hmm. and you know, at any time, yep. that's so true. But especially at this time too, you know, and and you found that in in your work, we, we we don't know. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's unbelievable to me that we still need this discussion at all because people will say that you don't know everything about them, um, but not necessarily cut that sort of leeway for everyone else as well and I, I just don't understand why we spend so much time focusing on how much of the world around us needs to be just so before we worry about how we're conducting ourselves and, and doing what we can do, doing the things that are in our control. So I see a lot of families are like, well, you should go here and you should do this and you should do that. It's like, well, if they can't, they can't and 
every relationship between two people, you, you have a chance to make an effort. They have a chance to make an effort. Sometimes people can't. That's life, you know. Take a moment. That is a year-round thing. Uh, I think you know, it's sort of the old saying is you know, people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones unless you're flawlessly executing everything that you believe you should all the time, then perhaps you should cut people a bit of slack with what they're doing as well. And, uh, you know, so many times things that come our way, the curveballs, mm. you know, that wasn't in the brochure. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, but does that make us stronger too? Yeah, I think, uh, look, it depends on how you, how you take moments. I always take moments of challenge. For me, it's, I've always found the gift of challenging times really should be that it opens your eyes to the fact that other people go through challenging times. But a lot of the reactions I see is that people go internally and say, I had a challenging time and everyone should adjust accordingly. Instead of saying, I had a challenging time, good chance other people are as well. Good chance people are generally doing a good job. We always start by telling people to assume good intent and start there because there are very few people in reality that are running around like actively trying to ruin everyone's day. They're either unaware, they're, they're elsewhere, they're under other pressures, they've got other stuff going on. And if it was you, you would want them to cut that, you that slack, regardless of whether they know all the things. And I think we should you know, try and reciprocate in the same way. Try, you know, again, it's like, what is it? Treat people the way you want to be treated. Is it the golden rule, that sort of thing? <laughs> it is. Tell us a bit more about the just be nice. You know, how many years has that been going for now? Yeah, so as, as it is, uh, it's like five, five and a bit. I think we'll be coming up to six years. Uh, but it's probably the culmination of I've been on this problem for about 15 years. Um, and the problem that we've been, that we're sort of seeking to solve is that making sure that people get the help that they need when they need it for as long as they need it, uh, which is certainly not the case as it stands for, for any issue that's not medical in, in a country that has universal health care. And uh, the way we, we go about doing that is by changing the way that, that individuals and organisations help people and doing a better job of that. So we go into organisations that say they want to do good and we'd say, don't tell us what you think you can do to help just tell us what you're doing, tell us what you're really good at. We run through a little process with that and we identify opportunities for them to have really great impact as part of a, a whole pool of resources that we manage to make sure people are getting all the help that they need. Now that's the first step and mm-hmm. it's probably a big step for people to actually give you a call and say come in yep. because you know, sometimes when you look at problems, when you look at areas you want to help, it's just enormous mm-hmm. And, you know, just reading and hearing you, Josh, we can all start. We can all start today. We can all start tomorrow in just the little things mm-hmm. to be nice. How does, how does that work? Some examples. Yeah, so the reason it's called the Just Be Nice Project was because we really picked something that was the starting point for everybody to do. And everyone can be a little bit nicer in every interaction and in every moment of their day, you know, find a way to make it better for other people. And... The distinction we make a very clear distinction between being nice and and doing good. Being nice is about how I carry myself. So I'm in charge of how nice I am. I walk around and I I use my manners and you know I try and pick up my rubbish and I open the door for people and you know try to be considerate of others. Maybe you know in in whatever capacity I can do that, trying to be a positive moment in people's day. Honestly, I don't, I don't win at this every day. Sometimes people are grumpy at me. I get grumpy at them back and that's obviously not how, how we sort of want to go about it all the time. But we all stumble in that space. But 
It's like the North Star for our own behavior. But doing good is about the other person. So if, if being nice is about how I walk around, I can be nice to everybody and how they respond doesn't matter because that's not what, about, what being nice is about. But if I want to do good, it is entirely about whether or not the person I'm trying to help gets all that help that they need. Because if I give you a sandwich and you've got leukemia, that was me being nice. It's me trying to do a nice thing. But I haven't done any good in that space really because you're no better, you know, closer to being better. It's completely irrelevant to your needs. So it hasn't really done any good. So doing good is about looking after other people, being nice about how you conduct yourself. And a lot of people skip the part about how they conduct themselves on the way to thinking they're going to be able to change the world and do some crazy thing. And in the middle there, the bridge between the two is actually is, is your skill set and what you're really good at. So we say be nice, be really good at something, do good. That's where you're going to be able to have the most impact down the track is, is by being really good at something and then being able to use that to do good. And also not keep a register of the time. Gee, I was nice five times today. Oh, my goodness. If you can remember the times you were nice, you're not nice, straight up. Like you, you should not be able to remember. I don't remember every time I said thank you today. Because why would I? That's embarrassing. So when, when people are like, oh, I did this thing, I'm like, well, if you can remember the one thing you did, maybe you need to up the number of things you're doing because that's not really, it's not a great result if you're only doing one thing a year that you can remember and tell everyone about. Now, talking about being nice and being good, uh, you're in the, you know, the, the speaking circuit, mm-hmm. going out and talking to different people, and uh, it's quite a crowded circuit sometimes mm-hmm. because we have a lot of people telling their story. Yes. And it's a big thing at the moment, you know, storytelling. Is it all about telling the story to change people's lives, to make them go out and, you know, alter the way they're going to be nice or do good? There's a funny kind of hubris in telling your story all the time that I think. Um, I, I don't think that everyone needs to tell their story. I don't think everyone needs to you know, speak their truth. I don't think that's a thing. I think it's a little bit insular. I think it's a little bit inward looking. And I, I find a tension between talking about your thing all the time and then just demanding that everyone else understands it, gets it, and then acts accordingly. I don't, I don't think that's the way forward. I think better to talk about environments that people are in and, and improving ways to pay attention to each other and, and uh, improve opportunities around people much more than individual stories. Everything we do is about our own story. Every piece of social media is essentially your story. And everyone's you know, quote unquote story is just an edited version of whatever they want it to be. If we paid attention to all kinds of stories Maybe there would be some validity to that, but there is an overwhelming emphasis on sad stories. So tell us about your struggle. And frankly, some of the struggles that get at airtime um, don't even rank in the top thousand that I've seen in my life of people that struggle. Not that it isn't significant for the people that are talking about it, but it forces, it encourages people to pay attention to their difficulties which I think is exactly the wrong way that we should be viewing our lives. If the only way I get attention is by telling uh, a version of my life that highlights difficulty and struggle only, then people who want to be have attention paid to them do the same, then we're encouraging people to constantly look at that. Whereas if we, if we looked at people for uh, you know, integrity and hard work and skills and being good at what they're doing and their capacity to help others understand the world around them rather than just tell people about their personal experiences. 
And I think we would see we would see a different kind of media. We would see different kinds of output on social media, and we would see different kinds of speakers. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've heard the avatar of you know I had a thing. It was tough. I got better. You can do it too, a million times. And I think people are a bit over being told that they can do whatever when it certainly isn't the isn't the reality that without certain supports and certain opportunities, you can't you can't just get over stuff on your own all the time. And um, there's that final. <laughs> it's being in downtown Prague. Love isn't it. it? Yeah. Got the hog <laughs> the going on outside. Noise, yes. Amazing. Um, so therefore, with the stories, and you know, you this is me going through my tough time. I got through it, so you should too. Is it also immunity too? Because you know, you feel bad if you're saying that someone's come out and used it as an excuse for behaviour and things like that. You know, where do we get that line to say, you know, that's genuine, wow, I have empathy for you to the fact that, um, you know, I've heard this before. I think that the difference is not necessarily in the, in the people doing it. it, it what, what, I, what I find really difficult is that the story emphasises the difficulty and it emphasises I did this. And we might touch on a thing that says, oh, you know, yeah, and my, my family was there and they helped or whatever. And, and that's it. You know, that's a little, oh, you know, and my friend asked me if I was all right and that, that sort of helped. But, you know, mostly I just, you know, I did this and I just powered on and I did these things. And, and for me, it's, it leaves out the 90% of the, of the opportunity, which is actually, you know, I, I grew up in a literate household. I was fed as a child. I had a well-developed brain. I went to... I didn't get stabbed on the way to school and I had friends around me, I had some family members and yeah, they were they had challenges but at that point in time I was old enough to deal with it and I was old enough to get my own food and there was, this, you know, the people at school stepped up and all of these things that actually allow you to do it, well, if we paid attention to that, then it would change the way that people look at how they need to help people. If we're continually saying, I had a tough time, I got over it and I sit in a room full of people and they've heard this five conferences in a row then people who don't understand then get the attitude that when they see someone experiencing disadvantage that you need to do this, right? Instead of saying, what's missing around you? Because every story I've heard for the last five years is you had a great coach, you had a football club, you had some food, you had these people around the corner that stepped up, you had this amazing teacher, you had the, the school that was really well resourced for kids that were coming from broken homes, which really, you know, they fed you and they educated you and you had all this access to mentors and clever people. How do we get that to, to these kids? They're not hearing that story. They're hearing, oh, well, you just sucked it up and got on with it. Now you're a hero, which is a version of a story, I suppose, but it leaves a lot on the table. So that's the bit that I struggle with because, yeah, struggles are struggles and everyone's a relative and that's okay. And if, if something feels like a 10 out of 10 difficulty to you, then I'm not here to say that it wasn't. But I am here to say that by just saying you got over it yourself and everyone else should, that you are doing a disservice to all the other people that need more than just to be told, step up. And, you know, as we were discussing earlier, practitioners in the space, people who work with, in these communities and work with these people, people like myself, we hear these stories and we're just like, shut up. Are you serious? It's all well and good for you to come in and say, change your mindset. It's all right. Think positive you know, speak your truth and it'll be fine. But tell that to the kid who got bashed every day until they were 10, didn't eat breakfast until they were 10, whose parents were drug addicted, who didn't see a book ever, who got suspended 14 times before they were in year eight. And tell them like, oh, you just need to change your mindset and just speak your truth and it'll be fine. I mean, it's such a privileged position to take that 
it, it, that is disingenuous and, oh, yeah, we all have a nice feel-good moment about your story, great, well done, but it doesn't help anybody. And I think there's enough of that. We don't need more of that. We need better understanding. We don't need more examples of people who want to take credit for every piece of success they've had because no one does it in a vacuum and, you know, more people need to understand that. And, but it needs someone like you too because what you're saying is very challenging. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's like, God, I wish I could say that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's sort of like um, because it's going, it's bucking the system and it's actually making people stop and think and say, yeah, but, you know, it's not politically correct to you know, say that or do that in my organisation. So we've got 2020 coming. Mm-hmm. For people listening, what can they do because that's like the line where I can make a difference mm-hmm. – What's your advice for those that really do want to make a dif- difference? Yeah, so the first step is all, is to lean into the stuff that you're really good at. Straight away, if you're looking to do something and it's not, it's not something you're already good at, it's not something that you have heaps of skills in and you do have heaps of skills in other areas, then you're wasting your time. Um, don't go work in a soup kitchen. Don't go just collect clothes. If you're a professional, there's a million other things you can do. And take the time to just keep getting better don't guess necessarily uh, what that impact's going to be. Bill Gates didn't set out to cure malaria, you know, and if he had, I doubt very much whether he'd be one of the richest people on the planet. He set out to, you know, run Microsoft, whether he ran it in an ethical way or was nice all the time is debatable. I don't think necessarily that's the case, but certainly did a really good job of what he was setting out to do, build this ubiquitous software platform, make billions of dollars, now he's in a position to do these things. It's a great example of like, being good and then doing good. You've got to go skills first. So if you want to do heaps of good, stop doing stuff that's not what you usually do. And I know that goes against every marketing campaign that's ever told you to run a marathon that you don't normally run, grow a bit of facial hair you don't normally grow, paint your fingernail a certain colour it's not normally painted, do all this stuff you don't normally do and that's the best way to help. That's all bullshit and that's not the way that you help people. The best way to help people is doing what you're good at. And it's got nothing to do with what you – don't go cause first. I might be passionate as about the cello. I shouldn't teach anyone the cello. I can't play the cello. It doesn't matter. If I'm really that passionate about it, if I really care, go to school, learn the cello, then start teaching people. But there's a huge amount of impatience when it comes to these sorts of things. Don't worry about doing stuff where you can, you know, quote, unquote, see the change that you're making because it reduces itself to – I went and saw a homeless person and gave them a sandwich so I could see the impact I was having. Mostly you can't see the impact you're having. It's really easy to game that and that's not a great way to do it. Carry yourself better. Look after the people to the left and right of you every single day. Walk in to your office space and go, am I listening? Am I paying attention? Do I know enough about the people around me? Do I know what they're good at? Do I know what they care about? Do I know about their hopes and dreams? Do I know about what they're trying to do? Is there ways for me to help them in every interaction? Is there ways for me to make every interaction with these people better? Do that. Start there. And if you've got an interest in doing something and using your skills, I mean, you can get in touch with us and we'll, we'll happily take on board talented people with, with good intentions. But in, in 2020, I think you need to relax about all the transactional, you know, lowest common denominator things and just say, look, take the time to be good. And don't go cause first, go skills first and and then we'll take it from there. I'm breathing a sigh of relief because (laughs) how often when you're roped into feeling like you're not part of the team, if you don't paint your fingernail, but you believe in the cause but you don't really want to run that marathon, but I'm more than happy 
to actually give a skill and help, but that requires also the organisers of that to think differently mm-hmm. and that's not in the way we work, which is hard as well. So it's perhaps even coming up with something of how your skills can help too. That's right. JBN's the only place on the planet that does that because you can't just broadcast it out to everyone that the best thing you can do is X because it's not, it's not the same for everybody. Everyone has unique opportunities. There's a patience involved with that. Um, you don't get a first-year apprentice to build a house, but the person who does it after 10 years of experience can do that. Their opportunities are different. Their capacity to deliver help is different. Might be 10 years before you can build a house. Well, get stuck in. 10 years' time, we'll get you to build that house. And that's okay for, for work, but people have been sold that in charitable space for a long time as being the best way to help is do unusual things and do things you're not good at, do lowest common denominator things because it, it makes for good marketing campaigns. But in that as well, I mean, you, you let off with that. You said, oh, you know, I agree with the cause there are an infinite number of causes and now the way that people are trying to you know find their niche to you know marketing funnels and all this kind of stuff which is all the things all the leverage that that, that charities use it starts with cause well it's very hard for me to argue that uh, battered women is a, is a is a not a worthy cause or that sick kids is not a worthy cause or that um, you know refugees who are homeless is not a worthy cause but there are an infinite number of causes broken toes pretty that sucks Broken toes because of a shot put, broken toes because of a chair, broken toes because of a car door. And now it's like broken toes in Bundaberg. Every one of those would be a different organisation if it was a charity. They would all have their own slightly different thing. They would all have a T-shirt. They would all put a team in a marathon. Everyone, they could all make a GoFundMe. Great. But the outcome is we want the toe fixed. And when you go to hospital, they don't have a different ward for every cause. They just go, you've got a broken toe, we fix it. The outcomes for humans universally that we want them to be housed we want them to be employed in in gainful meaningful employment we want them to have um, educational opportunities that lead to that sort of thing we want them to have strong community support healthcare. Um, we want them to have utilities available mobility you know clean water there's about eight things everywhere whether you're in chile tanzania australia the philippines universal outcomes why don't we focus on that instead of every one of the billion reasons that people don't have that and say, oh, we're raising money for this cause. For what? To talk about it, to tell people about it, to say it sucks, but what are you doing? Well, nothing. We don't take any responsibility for solving a problem. We're here to raise money for cause X. Guys, everyone gets sick. You get cancer in every part of your body. Go to the doctor and get checked. There you go. We can just get rid of every awareness charity about that. Done. We don't need it. They're useless. People get sad. Sometimes people are happy. Talk to your mates, look after people. Okay, good. Now we can get rid of all of those stupid awareness charities and do anything. What we need is support around people to make sure that we're taking responsibility for them to get into these outcomes and change the whole face of what we're doing anyway because we could go on forever about causes. We're like The World Health Organization has over 13,000 kinds of pathology like in terms of disease. Do they all need a charity or do we just need a hospital that says when you come in, the right person will be here to make sure that we get you better. They know about the different causes. You are treated accordingly, but the outcome is you're here until you're better. Same with mental health, that's what we do. Same with housing, that's what we do. Same with education and employment, that's what we do. Yeah, there's lots of different reasons people need help. They need different kinds of help, but the outcomes are always the same. It makes so much sense. So 
again, it's actually implementing it. So what do people do? How do they be able to take it to that next step and, uh, you know, throw away the red nose and all of that but do something that helps? Yeah, I think taking responsibility for the people around you is a really great place to start and being aware of your limitations in that space. If people looked after each other a little bit more and were a little bit more understanding in the long term, it would save a lot of issues, I think, because you would have supportive uh, family members and friends that, that take up a lot of that slack, which is really great. We need to talk about these things differently, be a little bit more critical and, and put a little bit more intellectual rigour into, into our discussions in this space. Uh, a good cause it doesn't mean a good outcome and it doesn't mean a good intervention. A single intervention is rarely the answer. And if you're raising your kids and someone walked into maths class and said, maths is good, you should know about it, and then left, you'd be like, what a rubbish maths teacher, you know? Like, that's what awareness is. It's just saying, hey, here's a thing. For that short moment. Yeah, for that short moment. And now it's on you to learn about it. Well, you know, actually to learn maths, I need to be taught almost every single day for many, many years, and then at the end of it I'll have some idea. That's what it is like with all of these kinds of disadvantage. They are at least that complicated. There are at least that many different kinds of problems and nuances and different ways to approach them. People need to understand that it's not a simple thing, that, that we need to look around the problems, not just at the people. And keep getting better. Just keep getting better at stuff. There's ways to help once you're good. Instead of bouncing around looking for purpose, look for excellence and purpose will find you. That's a good one. What I think too, though, you know, I know in that five years you always are wanting, of course, to get more people on board, but you must be proud with the number of huge organisations, large well, and small organisations that have got behind the Just Be Nice project, yet not wanting the kudos and that they're doing it because it means something. Yeah, it takes, it ta- it, it takes a lot of uh, – takes strong leadership to, to change the model – there is actually no requirement that for people to do to engage with us and do what we do, because we're not solely focused on making the the helper feel amazing. That we're actually here to deliver good help. I can almost tell. I can tell. There's two kinds of ways when we when we're talking to an organisation or a person. We talk about the outcomes and how we do it and how one thing never solves the problem and you need to you're you know working in the soup kitchen or bird watching was useless for these accountants and you shouldn't do it and you should do these things and you should be on call and when you're working with us that you will have to work alongside other people that we are also coordinating so that the people who need help get all the kinds of help that they need at the right level and i can tell immediately probably 18 out of 20 people will go so what you're saying is you know oh we waste our time and all the stuff we've done is not worth it and it's no good. And I'm like, okay, that's a person who's focused solely on how they feel about it, not the outcomes. And then the two out of 20 are like, oh, thank God, because we've been doing stuff and all we do is see that we're just leaving people hanging, which is the people that are focused on the help being good. So they're focused on the, the two out of 20 that are going, yeah, we've seen the gaps. We can see that dropping off this you know, water bottle is not – unhomeless anybody ever and that's frustrating for us so we don't know how to do better and we're stoked that you're here to help us do better but 18 out of 20 people are like well we've you know we're trying to say that all the stuff we've been talking about for ages is you know it's not that good well get stuffed you know I can't put it on my socials yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) and I'm like yeah well I am telling you that but I'm also telling you that you can do heaps more and that your capacity for impact is is massive 
places love to say they're innovative, they love to say they care, they love to do all these things, but they just can't execute it because their impact literacy is so poor. They just operate in a, in a transactional paradigm that sucks, quite frankly. It's not very good. Now, um, Josh, again, you know, some people are listening thinking, oh, well, what's, who's he yeah. to talk about this? I mean, what would he know? Yeah. Uh, and if they haven't read your CV or yeah, <laughs> whatever, totally. you have a really diverse range of experience so you know with the people you must have met the places you lived the experience again obviously has gone towards where you are today perhaps just give us a snapshot of that experience yeah I think um, fair enough I think people should ask a little bit more about those sort of questions one of the things that I always challenge people to do in that space before I wax lyrical about my own existence is that um Pitch culture has really damaged this kind of space because people tell you, you need to get out everything you know in 15 seconds. Well, with all due respect, you can't possibly know what I know and you wouldn't know in 10 years of working with, with what I do. What you sh- really should do if you want to test whether someone knows something is sit down with them and grill them for hours and hours. And I will go in any room, on any panel, in any business, in any boardroom, anywhere, and I am happy to be grilled for 10, 15 hours. You will not get to the end of what I know about this space. You will not get to the end of it. Try that with anybody else who's just been pitching marketing campaigns and you'll get five questions in and they're done. It'll be about feeling good, it'll be about some faff, whatever. If pitching really was the answer, PhDs would be 35 words long. They're not. They're 80,000 words long because when you know what you're talking about, it's about depth of knowledge, not how pithy you can make a byline that gets out into people's faces. So... Look for the organisations that don't want you to know more. They usually suck. And look at the places where they do want you to know more and that's usually the people doing really in-depth work, really well-considered work, things with a lot of um, high skill. They pitch really terribly. They advertise terribly. It's like scientific inquiry is really hard to market, whereas growing a moustache, really easy to market. You know, so problem is the scientific one is losing out because exactly. of that. So we've got to get that balance too. 100%. Yeah, so absolutely – Anyone wants to challenge, you know, or, or pick my brains or do those sorts of things, by all means, anytime. Um, I, I grew up uh, younger, when I was younger, we grew up down the coast, a place called Lakes Entrance, and a beautiful place, a little bit out of the way, but, um, you know, beautiful little coastal town, and uh, my brother and sister were born down there in the country. We moved to the suburbs in, in Melbourne for me to go to school, and I grew up in a place called Mulgrave, just out in the southeast suburbs of Melbourne, and... As I was growing up, we were uh, my my father was, uh, you know, he struggled with addiction, with uh, drugs and, and and alcohol, and he was a violent man. His dad was a violent man. His dad's dad was a violent man. It goes back ad infinitum. It's that sort of um, my dad's side of the family are Polynesian, and it's a very common sort of situation. He grew up in South Auckland, and anyone from South Auckland, Mungary, and and surrounds knows what it, what it was like. It was a rough place to grow up, and. And, uh, but he was an intelligent man, an erudite man, and, and at times a really wonderful father. I think that sometimes makes this, the experience a little bit more challenging because we had really great times and then we had very, very challenging times. Um, as a result of just escalating violence in the home, there was a final incident. We, my parents separated when I was 10 or 11 I was uh, I started school young and then I skipped a year at school. So I was 11 doing year eight, and which meant I was a couple of years younger than, than the people that we were hanging out with, which is a strange experience. But I think because 
you don't recognise it as emotional immaturity as a kid. I think mum maybe did when I, you know, when I was in school, but be, because I had been a nerd and because I'd sort of had a big afro and all these kinds of things early on, um, I just paid a lot of attention all the time, work out how to game the system a little bit where you don't really fit in. And then by the end of primary school, I was the captain of the footy team and then went into the accelerated program in high school. Then by the end of high school, I was back to being the captain of the footy team again and sort of had worked out high school. And in there, you know, all kinds of weird and wonderful things happened. I had really fantastic friends. School wasn't amazing, but, but I got really lucky with some mates. And where I lived, we had nearby another family that were just an amazing support and continue to be an amazing support in my life. And, and my mum is amazing. She turned a dollar into four and we had a lot of noodles and we ate a lot of mashed potato and my pants didn't fit and all this kind of stuff. But my pants now, but then were like how people wear their pants now, you know, <laughs> yes. everyone's got their socks showing, but at the time I or wanted no a, socks. Yeah. The no socks or the, you know, and I got an award in year 12 with the ankle bashes award because my pants never fit. Cause we never bought new pants. Cause it was just like, Oh, they still, get over your ass so you can wear them, whatever, until they fall apart. I was just ahead of the time, you know. So we did all that and um, at the time as well, the suburb I grew up in, next to that suburb, there was a lot of uh, gang activity at the time. The, the incumbent immigrant population of the day then were the um, Vietnamese and Cambodians and uh, so I had some interesting run-ins with, you know, in that sort of space. We used to get up to some rat bag stuff as kids. Some of my mates were injured in the process of that. Some got in a fair bit of trouble. Some, you know, suffered some pretty pretty horrible trips to the hospital and all that kind of stuff. But somehow I skated through, played footy, did okay, which was which was a, a wonderful opportunity. And I use the footy example actually often because the footy ground was only a few streets away from where we lived. And so I could walk there. And mum would have to drive my brother to basketball and my sister to gymnastics and all this kind of stuff. And that's an opportunity that most people wouldn't recognise as an opportunity because if that footy ground was just 20 streets over, maybe I wouldn't have been able to walk or if it was a little bit over in the rougher place, I maybe wouldn't have been able to walk there. Maybe then I didn't play footy and then maybe then I didn't get good at footy and then maybe then I didn't get the opportunities that I had in my life as a result of playing footy, which is meeting people. I got work from there. I made money playing football. I did all these kinds of wonderful things and it all started really because this was just around the corner. And people will tell the story about how they trained really hard and kicked the footy all day and went to training three times a week and did all that stuff, which I did, but I only could because it was so close. And for kids who don't have it that close, what are they missing out? How many, how many talented people or opportunities we're leaving on the table because they can't go there and do that because it's not close enough and they're not able to take up that opportunity. So that footy club doesn't exist anymore. The junior footy club doesn't exist anymore. So I reflect on that all the time, stuff like that, about like how lucky to go to a school where I just met some wonderful people and we had some good support and all this stuff. It was just roll of the dice stuff. Um, My dad wasn't really around all that much and ironically I had been working in the space for a a long time uh, before in the end after we sort of had intermittent communications but his story ends with him taking his own life and so I get the phone call about that several years ago and uh, my brother and sister is still all good my little brother lives with me now he's a little legend my sister lives down the coast mum's going well and and uh, she's amazing we have a really great relationship we're very close and and uh, I went to work straight away did a trade 
went to uni while I did a trade, so I did a carpentry apprenticeship and I did Hence a BA. Hence you knew where you can build. You can't build your first year as an apprentice. Yeah, I know about that. And I would have been a first-year apprentice that, was, that thought he could build a house. You know? <laughs> I, was, I was in there. I was like, i go to uni. I'm, I'm all across this. Um, but you can't. You, you, apprentices don't know how to sweep. They don't know how to dig holes. It's all stuff everyone thinks they know how to do. But there's a skill in all of these things. So I, 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 got an apprentice, I did an apprenticeship, which I, was really, I, I really enjoyed. I did a BA at the same time, did a major in uh, double major in philosophy and media and communications and an English lit minor at Monash. And then, uh, yeah, construction, sold that off and had a clothing company, which still goes, called Odin, and opened a gym about seven years ago, which is called Jones Brothers now. My brother runs that. And uh, JBN has been in the background the whole time and uh, kicked off properly, yeah, like five, six years ago now, so... Have my fingers in all those bits and bobs, doing all the things. Yeah. So in that um, snapshot, we've got um, you know abuse, uh, addiction, suicide, um, a strong woman in your mother, mm-hmm. and a strong family, and also friends, and yep. being close to accessible accessibility. So when you talked about the football ground and being close, that's probably a lot of things in life, you know, as well. The, say the Just Be Nice project, people who can access it or there's more areas, it's a lot easier mm. for them to give and, you know, give of their time and things like that. Mm-hmm. So probably more important that more people know about it and that it's accessible. Yeah, the way we always tell – because we don't have – we're not cause-related, we're outcomes-related. It doesn't matter how people come to need help. Um, when you go to hospital, you don't know what's wrong with you. All you know is that you're not feeling well or that something seems to be broken or something. You go in, they work it out for you. They go, we think it's a broken arm. Here's the guy that knows about broken arms. The nurses are there, the beds are there, all the drugs are there. They're all, you know, the food's there, the toilets are there, everything's there. They've all been trained. They all have degrees. They've all got all the billions of dollars of hospital uh, infrastructure around them, supported by um, equipment industry and uh, pharmaceutical industry and educational industry of, you know, universities and stuff that that fill in all those gaps and allow you to walk in and go, something's wrong, and they go, we got you. We'll, we'll work it out and we'll be with you until you're better. They don't ask you, how'd you break your arm? And then you go, well, I was out skateboarding. They go, Sue, that's ridiculous. Why were you skateboarding? That's dumb. We're not fixing it. They just go, all right, broken arm, come on in. The only reason they wouldn't see you is if they're full. And that's how we treat everyone at JBN. The only reason we don't take people or communities on board to help is if we don't have the beds, essentially. We don't have the resources. So... There is, until everyone's getting all the help that they need all the time, we have a need for more resources. Everyone has an opportunity to provide those, whether it's 10 bucks a week or a million dollars or $10 million a year, whatever. Money, time, skills, whatever, all those things that we can identify in organisations and with people. The more we have, the more people we can help. The more skills we have, the more complicated problems we can solve quicker. We try to operate similarly to the hospital in that sense of bringing in the right people to and the right resources to fix people. But in truth, at the moment, we kind of operate like a Papua New Guinean hospital where we don't have all the different kinds of drugs for exactly the right sort of conditions. Okay, a lot of people just getting morphine. That's what we've got. It's 90% right for a lot of people. It's 80% right for a couple of people. It's 100% right for a few people, but we're working to, to constantly refine what's available and do a better job of those things and integrate with existing solutions and interventions so that they get the support that they need as well. Josh Jones, 
A pleasure again. Let's just hope that 2020 is the year of the Just Be Nice project. Yeah, that's right. It's Without bit... the pithy slogans. Yeah, that's right. Without the pithy slogans. <laughs> if not, I'm just going to open speakeasies and just go full 20s and just start, you know, bootlegging stuff and we'll support it that way. <laughs> whatever, whatever works in the 20s. Oh, you'll be successful. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.